0: The Athletic.
1: The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break-off.
2: Hello and welcome to Hand break off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. This week, the gang is back together uh, with us today. James McNicholas and welcome back, Amy Lawrence. Hello, guys. Hello. Still alive. Uh, Good, good.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's generally quite a good idea.
2: Um, And it's lovely to have you back, Amy. I saw your uh, chat with Mikel Arteta. Uh, We'll get to it uh in a short while it was uh really to mark his 100th game uh as manager uh this weekend so we thought we'd ask of his 100 games which stands out strongest uh in the memory I mean we can of we can all say the FA Cup
1: final but are there any others Amy I'll start with you I think we can all say the FA Cup final we probably all say the recent Tottenham game um, yeah would probably be in everyone's <laughs> top two maybe um Just because I think with all the circumstances, it was that feeling of, uh, to use the word of the moment, according to Arteta, unity, where everybody was together having that. I mean, considering, you know, fan-wise, nobody apart from James who blagged his way in on his media pass Mm -hmm. uh, and a couple of others were actually inside Wembley uh, for the cup final. To have a great moment in front of fans again was extremely special. So that would be right up there. And then if I was just going to throw one more into the mix. We've only I got a hundred
2: to choose from. I know, eh, I know. <laughs> but I'm not
1: going to restrict myself just to the three, but I would go for um, Chelsea away when Martinelli oh. uh, went through and it was 10 men and it was Stanford bridge and everybody thought Arsenal would fare very poorly. And it was a incredibly collective uh, performance, very resilient. And the, the very late equalizer from Hector Bellerin and the, the team and the fans and the management seemed to they seem to take it was like a, an ignition of something there was a kind of big explosive pow when when that game happened and and i think everybody could see oh wow okay this is what's possible so that that sticks in the mind too they were goodens james what about you
0: uh i'm going to pick another chelsea game actually the home game towards the end of last year which came in the midst, or at the end, thankfully, of that terrible run that this Arsenal team produced. And actually, had it gone another way, I don't know if Mikel Arteta would have made it to 100 games. Um, But, of course, they pulled a win out of the bag. And also, that game will be memorable for Emil Smith-Rowe's first Premier League start, I believe it was. Certainly, it was under Arteta. And the impact he's made in the sort of coming up to a year since has been extraordinary, as we'll talk about, no doubt, relating to the Watford game. But I just think that was such a pivotal moment for Mikel. And, you know, things looked pretty bleak at that time. And he was forced into making some changes, introducing the likes of Smith-Rowe. Martinelli started that game as well. And it just breathed life into the team and into his reign, really. Um, yeah. And he's, he's still going a year on and things look a a good bit healthier now.
2: Um, I'm going to have another Chelsea game, actually. It's actually the first game, wasn't it, that uh, Mikel Arteta took charge. And we actually lost 2-1. But what I remember feeling, and also saying to my son Alexander on the way home, was was disappointed that we'd lost because it felt different. It felt like, oh, I, I, I'm starting to care about this again in a way that I found it hard at the end of the um, Emery era. We, uh, Bert Leno made a mistake. Got under a cross, and they won two-one. Chelsea, and they changed it. I think, um, but it's about connection, right? And uh, and that, that moment when uh, he we, I don't know when he came in, and we just started playing with more intensity. Now, obviously, there have been a number of false dawns since then, but uh, it was good to feel again. I think, watching that game. So I'm going to go for that Chelsea game, although I definitely preferred the Tottenham uh, victory <laughs> and the cup final. We will be heading down memory lane some more later as we talk about the new uh, Arsene Wenger documentary. Uh, just a reminder that you can get a third off an R an Athletic subscription because you listen to this podcast. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. One back by White. Still whites. Sissoko stopped him. Still throw! Arsenal 1, Watford nil. 1 nil to the Arsenal. Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, Amy. Let's start with Ainsley. Uh, it's well documented what happened to him uh, in the summer. His Instagram post. I want to go where, I'll, where I'm going to be played. Thomas Partey was injured. I must have heard from about 25 different sources about Thomas Partey's tight groin. <laughs> And um, Ainsley was in, and I think he might have been man of the match yesterday.
1: Well, I mean, sometimes um, in football, it, you have these sliding doors moments. You need sort of something to go in a certain direction for, uh, you know, the journey to change direction. And I think for Ainsley, obviously, having stayed, and it's easy to see why any manager would want him around because he's so generally all round useful. And to have a player that you can. Use in a variety of positions and be relatively confident he's he's going to go do a, a job for you is sometimes probably more useful for a manager than it is a player because a player wants to be more than a job a player wants to be really involved in the team and feel central and feel like you know they've got you have a good game and then next game you you're back involved again and you're trying to improve and make more of an impact and suddenly I mean party presumably would have played. And the fact he didn't gave him this this in, and it's really good to see him seize it. I mean, there's still some queries about probably his eventual best position because I think it's in his interest really to try and nail something a bit more solid down, you know. And I think a, a lot of people who watched when he excelled uh, in that kind of right wing back role still see that and think, ah, you know, he's he's really got something potentially on that. Sort of f- flank, but th- he's always harboured the central midfield dream, and um, it looked like he seized it yesterday. It did. Uh, I, I, I did enjoy
2: watching him when he was sort of trying to get the fans going when we when we went one 0 up as well. Um, I mean, James Thomas Partey is going to go at the African Nations Cup, and he is going to get, assuming that he's fit, and and also Granite Xhaka will come back into uh, um, consideration. But Ainsley's going to get a run in the team then, isn't he?
0: Yeah, he'll certainly bump up the pecking order. And I think that's why he's still with the club, to be honest. I think they've always had that in their mind, that not just Thomas Partey, but Mohamed Elneny as well, will go off to the African Cup of Nations. um, And they're going to need bodies in the middle of the park in that time we're hoping shaka's going to be back we saw pictures this week of him resuming light training uh i understand he's still basically on schedule to come back in january but not necessarily before
2: can i just say uh james to what you said there I think there is quite a, lo- a sizable number of Arsenal fans who don't hope <laughs> that Jacker comes back quickly.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I won't count myself among them then. Let's say that. Thanks. Especially in the absence of Partey, I think it would be very useful indeed if we can have Shaka back at that time. Yeah. But um, I-, I think Maitland-Niles will get chances and i still have the sense that there's a slight sort of marriage of convenience about him still being at arsenal and i'm not necessarily sure i expect him to be there in the long term but i'm really pleased for him to be figuring in the team and also um making a good contribution as he did yesterday i thought he was probably rightly awarded man of the match on the day
2: amy we talked about uh ainsley maitland niles and the job he did Uh, And when you think about Saka and Smithrow as well, these are three kids who came through the academy. Um, I mean, part of the thing, when you chatted to Mikel Arteta, and what a lovely chat it was, by the way, you could see you were getting on uh, pretty well. And you talked about family and the word that you mentioned before, unity. um, Having three homegrown players like that really helps, doesn't it?
1: Uh, I'm sure it does, but I, I get the feeling that... Uh, Mikel is more like Arsene in, when Arsene used to say I care about the player and not their passport I don't think that Mikel necessarily has a different set of judgment values for Bukayo Saka or Maitland-Niles or Emil Smith-Rowe than he does for Sambi Conga or um, Tomiyasu uh, uh, or, or Ramsdale I, I'm just <laughs> not sure that, that that's sort of how I think that's more of a fan That's what I was going to say And it may be It may be or may not be different For individual players In how connected they feel Or whether it makes uh, An impact on decisions they make About their career But I think that When you're Involved Day to day You know in In a high pressure position Like Mikel is now I don't think you can afford To be too sentimental About that kind of stuff I think he's looking at human beings, people he wants to connect with, people he wants to get on with each other, an environment where he can get the best out of them and they can get the best out of themselves. So uh, I'm pretty sure that actually, nice though it is, he doesn't have any less of a view of the players who are not homegrown or any special affection for the ones that are homegrown because he wants to have a kind of um, equality of ideology i think uh, so that all the players feel as involved and as motivated and as unified wherever they come from and whoever they are
2: yeah i i mean i think what you said was right amy it's it's more of a fan thing and there's no doubt for example that aaron ramsdale not a homegrown player is probably one of the two or three most popular players at the emirates uh, right now ben white i'd like to talk a little bit about ben white uh, James, I thought that was possibly his best game for the Arsenal. And I know, and I think he would have run um, Ainsley pretty close for man of the match. He, I, I was looking at his uh, his numbers: most touches, most passes, most clearances, most blocks, and most interceptions. We wanted a, a commanding centre uh, centre half partnership, and we've got one now, haven't we?
0: Well, there's a lovely balance, I think, between Gabriel and Ben White. I think, you know, they dovetail very effectively and their record together is is outstanding at this point um, I thought this was a really good game from White it presented him with a different challenge Arsenal recently have played a lot of teams who have pressed them quite high who've pushed very high up the pitch and Watford didn't do that at all they sat right off and it meant that you know the passing lanes the outlets that we've seen the likes of Ramsdale Gabriel and White picking out um, you know, all those intricate balls to halfway, they weren't really available because Watford just sort of packed the midfield. And White, I was really impressed by the way he took the onus on to be a guy who carried the ball forward. There were several driving runs up the pitch which have become quite characteristic of his play for Arsenal. One <laughs> Although in he the got caught.
2: Up. He got caught a couple of times, didn't he, as well?
0: Yeah, he did. But I I, I think on the occasions where he was caught, there was usually someone covering. And I, and I generally thought, Someone needed to do that to try and break through this sort of massed Watford defence that Arsenal found in front of them. It led to the goal as well. One of his forays forward, he got brought down to the edge of the box just before Emma Smith-Rowe swept it home. So, yeah, I think he's doing really well. He had a difficult start at Brentford and I think maybe the difficulty of that was uh, emphasised a little bit too much. I think it was a bad day for Arsenal all round in a, a side that looks a lot weaker than the one we're currently fielding. But he's settled really well since then. You know, he seems quite an unflappable character. Nothing about that game at Brentford seems to have stayed with him particularly. And he looks a lot more confident player. I think he's fantastic on the ball. Uh, I think because of the the fee Arsenal paid, you know, people are always going to look at that and query it. But if you look at the results Arsenal are producing defensively, the amount of clean sheets they're keeping, um, you won't find too many arguing too strongly against it right now.
2: No, four goals in eight league games. I mean, it's it's outstanding uh, defending, really. And obviously, it's right through the team, but we're, we're really liking that back five, uh, I think. I want to talk about the goal as well. Uh, Emile Smith-Rowe, third goal, uh, also scored in three straight games now. The uh, fourth Arsenal under uh, player under 21 to do that. The other three, Nicolas Anelka, uh, Jose Antonio Reyes and Cesc Fabregas. Very, very decent company that he's keeping. Um. Are we bothered in any way, Amy, by the fact that it was probably a foul on uh, on Saar, and should we have kicked the ball out? I mean, I know the answer to this, but um, we would have been a bit unhappy if it went the other way.
1: Yep, I guess so. But you know, it's um, hey ho. <laughs> it's, it's one of those that we're all a bit selfish when it comes to watching our football teams. I think, and you know, you can try and be as fair-minded as you like most of the time, but. Let's be honest. um, The win suits Arsenal in terms of momentum (laughs) very much. So, under the circumstances, I think it's easier to blame the referee than I think. Arteta's response was quite quite well judged when he pretty much was like, "Look, I mean, you know, I'm sorry if anyone's upset about it, but you know, my players have wouldn't have done anything like this intentionally." But it was it was quite a complex move. It wasn't sort of like one specific moment. Led to, uh, you know, to Watford feeling hard done by. There was almost a sort of domino effect of three or four different moments that they could probably pick on all of them and say, but what about that bit? What about that? What about that? I, I think maybe the funniest bit, though, was Danny Rose trying to signal to. Um, too free. Uh, yeah, to. Yeah, to, to, to get down, get down, know. you know. Well, that's the bit where <laughs> As I lost He was a lot picking of himself up. Yeah, so that probably didn't help them too much. Um But yeah, if the, the referee doesn't pick the, the foul up um by making a an nails beforehand, that's not yeah, you know, that's one of those things. So yeah, it was a kind of cumulative probably uh frustration from Watford's point of view. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know. I
0: was just going to say that um, Carnu was actually at the game yesterday, so I thought it was a fitting tribute, really, to play on.
2: So when's the next, when's the replay yes. then? Do we know when the replay of this game is?
0: <laughs> no, thank you. Obviously, no, thank you.
2: Enough. No, I don't want to watch Watford too often, to be honest. They were very. Uh, I mean, I guess Ranieri was pretty canny. Uh, he. Um, They cut off uh, Ramsdale's passing, didn't they? I mean, he didn't really uh, get to play many passes out the back. I guess uh, is a bit of an old hand and he watched them and thought, right, we've got to stop that. And um, they were very defensively set up and it's one of those things that we're going to have to learn, isn't it, James?
0: Yeah, it is. It is. I think... um, Yeah. yeah. I mean, as I said, they dropped deep and it, it presented Arsenal with a different problem. But... I still think that a 1-0 did slightly flatter Watford. You know, we had the two goals chalked off. One, I don't know if Aubameyang needed to touch it, frankly. I think it was probably going in from Odegaard. Of course, he missed the penalty as well. He didn't have a great day all round, Aubameyang. Um, Had he been a little bit sharper, I think we would have won this quite comfortably. And apart from one real heart-in-mouth moment in the 84th minute or something like that, when Aaron Ramsdale came charging out a goal, it was relatively... Uh, serene from an Arsenal perspective, relatively comfortable. So that's encouraging too, you know, that there is that kind of solidity and reliability at the back. I think Arsenal on another day probably win this by at least a couple of goals.
2: Uh, one more question before we move on. Do you think, uh, um, Amy, I'll ask you this do you think Oba should be taken off penalties?
1: Well, given Maitland-Niles was the man in the match and we all love to see a Maitland-Niles penalty, that might have been nice. <laughs> but I guess in the end, it's got to be up to uh, Aubameyang. If you're a coach and you trust your striker and the striker wants to take them, it's a big thing to take it away from them. And usually players, I think, when they don't when they don't fancy it, will let you know.
2: Yeah, but he didn't... Uh, did he look confident? I mean, I never really know, but sometimes you see the shoulders or something, you think maybe he didn't really fancy it. But that's two in a row now. That have been saved. I mean, obviously the one against Villary got back uh, and, and scored the rebound, but it, it's a slightly concerning thing, isn't it? There will be games. I mean, it, we, there will be games when when we need a penalty goal to win the game.
0: Yeah, I think I, personally, I think Lacazette's the superior penalty taker. Yeah, um, but he has been fouled on each of those last two occasions, and I do wonder if there's that slight. Sort of Thierry Henry superstition looming of, you know, the player's foul doesn't want to take the spot kick. I'm not sure. I think he's a good penalty taker. Pepe's a very good penalty taker with an excellent record. He's obviously not on the pitch at the moment. Yeah. Arteta said there are Bamiangs if he wants them, and being a goal scorer, he'll probably still want them. He scored more than he's missed, but yeah, it's not a brilliant record of late. So a little bit concerning there. I think he had a, like I say, a slightly torrid afternoon all round.
2: And one more thing, Amy, that I want to talk to you about the chat you had with Mikel Arteta. um, Unity, you mentioned it already was the word that came up. Family came up a lot as well. uh, By the way, it was sort of interesting to hear him talk about that stuff. But the thing that he said that really struck me was he said those bad times are as important as the good times. And do you think that in hindsight, that poor start might have been a positive thing in the long run?
1: <laughs> I know. What Do you, you want, want to answer just answer think it? about that question before you answer? No, it. no. Ask I want you to
2: dismiss me with the aiminess <laughs> that is normal when I ask one of these questions. But I'm yeah. just
1: asking the question yeah. because he was the one who brought it up. Okay, you're reminding me of a, of a friend of ours who um, used to always say when Arsenal were playing quite badly in a game, and it, oh, you know. It would do us a favor to concede, not always. <laughs> like, we always used to look at it look, like eyes to the ceiling now. Uh, like, uh, but he had this sort of absolute certainty that that was, you know, uh, give him a kick up the backside, you know, and it'd be good to concede a goal. What are you talking about? I'm not sure losing the first three games of the season uh, without scoring a goal could be in any way, shape, or form considered a, like, you know, a plus. I think putting a positive spin on something is slightly different. And I think with the benefit of hindsight, you can turn around and say that was a useful, even necessary was, I think, perhaps one of the words that Mikael used, uh, part of the learning process. But, yeah, let's be honest. I- I'm sure if he had a chance for any of those to have delivered points, he would have preferred that to the, you know, the sort of chaos and sort of swirling negativity of those opening games where uh, Arsenal had to hunker down and try and shut out the noise and keep kind of faith in themselves, which, as we can now see in the, in the subsequent games, is the case. I mean, it is almost hilarious to look at the league table and be two points behind Liverpool with a goal difference of zero compared to theirs of 20. I mean, I almost find myself looking at the table thinking, how? It's a... Uh, but it's a credit, really, to uh, the way that the team and, and the staff have, I suppose, held their nerve um, and just tried to do what they believe in. And it is beginning to reap rewards. And I don't think anybody expects that this unbeaten run is going to go and go and go. By the way, talking of unbeaten runs, thanks, West Ham. Um, <laughs> yep. But it was fundamentally to get that opportunity to talk to Mikel and try and the idea, the concept, was to try and get a bit more of the uh, of the clues into the, the the man behind the manager and a bit more of a feel for the human side. Because I think, unlike Arsene, Mikel Arteta is a good communicator, but not necessarily a warm communicator. You know, he is expressive when you watch him on the touchline and and, and so on, but he's not necessarily actually that emotional with the messages that he puts across. So trying to see what makes him tick is, you know, I think quite a useful exercise. I, I mean, look, it was a great interview and and uh, I would
2: recommend uh, people watch it. It's out on YouTube and various channels. Uh, take a look, find out a little bit about Mikel Arteta, uh, the man. Uh, one more thing, the Arsenal under-23s drew three all with Leicester under-23s the other day. Um, the goals from Arsenal were scored in the 92nd, 94th and 97th minute which tells you perhaps a little bit about the spirit of the youth coming through. And I'm sure we'll see some of them in the first team uh, at some point. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash Courtside to learn more. We better bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the athletic Ian Stone here with James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Arsene Wenger, Invincible, the film, the movie, uh, is in cinemas from the 11th of November and on Prime. Um, we've all seen The film, Uh, it's the story of uh, Arsene Wenger and the build up to the Invincible Seasons and featuring Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, Robert Perez, Dennis Bergkamp, many others. Also Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, David Dean and Arsene Wenger himself looking twinkly, uh, I think. Um, James, I did text you this that I think I've um, I think I might have forgiven him now. Uh, which has sort of coincided with Arsenal moving on. I'm not saying the two are connected, but uh, it, it felt it felt sort of karmic. It took me a long time to to sort of let it go, really. But to see him sitting there and and to see him reliving those moments and watching uh, the the the, uh, the the moments from that season, uh, it it brought back all those sort of nice, warm, gooey memories.
0: <laughs> Can I ask you, and not, uh, not in a facetious way, when you say forgiven him? what do you mean forgiving him for giving
2: him Oh well for staying too long and for for making for making it harder uh, for us to get back to the place we once were i think he stayed for maybe two three seasons too long i mm-hmm. think he probably should have gone after the whole cup final maybe the villa one but you know what seeing how much he loved being there the the addiction that he talks about in that film i understand why he didn't but you know that where I didn't go to the Burnley game, the goodbye, because I just thought I just thought I'm over this, and it took me quite a few years to let those those feelings go, and I, mm. I sort of finally did in the last few months, and um, so that's what I'm talking about, really.
0: Well, yeah, time heals all wounds, I guess. I don't think you're alone in, in feeling that, and I I certainly think Arsen should have probably gone some time before he did, um, but like you say, he was very much in the grip of his football addiction, his Arsenal addiction, really. And I think so absolutely determined to prove that he was still the right man for the job. And you know, along the way, in fairness to him, he did deliver a few trophies too in those late FA Cups. I I really enjoyed the film and I thought it was an interesting portrait of Wenger, probably a more interesting portrait than his book. And actually I feel like the two almost exist one almost uh, serves as a kind of accompaniment to the other. It, it it cures some of the ills of the former because it is a more uh, comprehensive portrait and one that I think reflects kind of the light and shade of his reign more fully. And although the film is called Invincible, and again, thanks to West Ham for their significant contribution to the film's <laughs> PR um, a few days before release, I think that... Many For many fans, the most um, compelling part of the film will actually be that kind of uh, last third that reflects on the time after the Invincible season and what it did to Arson, what it did to the team, what it did to his relationship with the fans. I think the degree to which he's able to now introspect on that period is fascinating. And there are things he says in this film that I had not, heard him say before. I mean one thing I was struck by he talks about the invincible season and he I think he uses the phrase he wonders if something was broken actually in the feet of being invincible if in doing that he somehow achieved his greatest goal in the game and you know maybe that was problematic for him in the second half of his reign. I think he's in a position now where he's had a bit more time and space to reflect on the entirety of his Arsenal reign, including how it ended. And it feels like he's in a, a better place to kind of assess it, which I think by his own admission, he would say was almost too difficult at the time. He was too close, too emotionally involved. Um, and it was a very, very difficult relationship for both parties to extricate themselves from. You know, uh, He calls it a love affair and, you know, a, a marriage is a, uh, a difficult and painful thing to unpick.
2: It doesn't and, always end well, does it? I mean, no. uh, I, I know you had a chat with uh, uh, Gabriel Clark, the director. Let's hear a little clip of what he had to say.
0: It's the addiction, isn't it? Uh, mm. uh, the addiction to football, which he, he he's proud of in a way. He, he sort of smiles when he says, I'm addicted to the game. Mm. I have the addiction gene. I have the addiction gene, absolutely. And of course, later in the film, the other side to that is what that addiction Addiction comes with a cost and, and the cost was the lack of time that he was able to spend with those closest to him and, and maybe, yeah, the, the, the fact that he didn't, didn't have a bigger family. So I think in any documentary, to a degree, it's important that, you know, it's, it's up to us and how much he wants to tell us about his personal life, but it's directly connected his personal life to his professional life mm-hmm. and one compromised the other.
2: That was uh, Gabriel Clark with James there. We'll be releasing that whole interview for you to hear later in the week. Um, Amy, we've touched on this addiction thing. Uh, there was an addiction that Arson had with uh, Arsenal. Um, and uh, obviously it provided some beautiful moments, including that whole season. Um, do you think this film provides closure for certain
1: fans, not just me? I'm not sure that's what its intention is. Uh, I mean, (laughs) no, no. (laughs) sorry, Ian. Um,
2: (laughs) What the whole world doesn't revolve around me. I can't believe it. (laughs) I know. I'm just saying, I think some fans found it difficult with him for the last few seasons and, and maybe watching him relive those moments and going, Oh yeah, that's what he gave to us. Maybe we all feel better about the whole thing.
1: Yeah, maybe I suppose. But I mean, it's, you know, as I said, it's, uh, I think I'm more interested in, if you think in talking about closure, about, the closure for arson to be honest sorry ian uh not to put you on okay. top of the list but um okay. you know it still unnerves me slightly that he hasn't been back i find that sad and i hope that's something that can be rectified but i it's In interesting case. amy that piece that you wrote for the athletic uh, mm-hmm.
2: about this very thing and then you haven't been on the podcast since then and i wanted to but not perhaps take issue with you but maybe just talk about that you know you said that there is a a, a large picture of him uh, and something he said uh, at the training ground do you not know, think it's it? you see the problems that they're having at manchester united where sir alex ferguson sort of looms large over the over the club and and perhaps he was the reason that ronaldo came back and they're in the present situation they're in and it's hugely entertaining though it is um and perhaps Arsenal needed to move on from Arsene Wenger, but as long as you have something of the man still there, the values that he that he brought to the club, uh, do you not think that is maybe enough? Or or uh, your article suggested it, you think maybe a bit more than that?
1: Well, it's not, I mean, not even so much what I think, it's what Mikel Arteta and the club thought. It's not, you know, they were the ones that, Mikel was the one that lobbied for... um a bit more sort of of an acknowledgement and a, a feeling of, of Arsene around the place rather than sort of hiding from this legacy or, you know, trying to pretend it, it it's uncomfortable and that it doesn't exist. He wants, it's not just Arsene. I mean, I, obviously it was striking because of the nature of the relationship now and, and the distance between Arsene and the club. But so to see him on the wall in a kind of, as you walk through the doors, uh, first thing that's the first thing that you see and it's like floor to ceiling a big picture of him with his hand raised and uh, and, uh, and, and he was asked specifically uh, for a comment to accompany it and said here you have the opportunity to get out the greatness that is in each of you and that's what they see when they come in in the morning and apparently all the players high five this picture of ours and it's like a kind of new tradition i don't think that's a a negative No, I don't know. I don't Uh, don't think that's like you know. Isn't it enough just to kind of know he was there and retain his values? I think it's also one of many many uh, bits of internal redecoration that have been placed all over to try and kind of reinforce this message of it's it's like subtle messaging. It's I guess looking for that extra percentage point, that extra fraction. You know, are there things that we can do that make it make you feel that bit more determined, or that bit prouder when things are difficult, and that you know that makes you feel unified with the guy behind you or in front of you or next to you on the pitch, and makes you want to go and take your shirt to the crowd? It's very visibly all over the place. Every corner you turn now at London Coney has got an image or uh, a piece of artwork or. you know, list of successful teams or pictures of of good things and good people. It's not just arson. You know, it's Mickey Thomas there and Rocky and you know all the greats, all the great captains, all the great players, uh, all the great kits, all the mottos, all the different variations of cannons. You know, it, it's it's very deliberate. I don't think it's a bad thing that arson is the guy they see because you know. For 22 years, he, he built that place. He built the team that created what people think is the aspiration of an Arsenal. Yes, it was very difficult towards the end and everyone accepts that and to an extent remains difficult. But honouring it rather than running away from it, I think is is a good thing. Quite. Uh, James,
2: uh, I mean, I, I did enjoy watching uh, Patrick Vieira and Dennis Bergkamp and Robert Perez and the rest of them, just you're just reminded of these stellar players that we used to have. But I think the, the bit that I, I took the most enjoyment from was watching Sir Alex Ferguson talk about the clashes, those games and, and the rivalry. Um, and, and, and younger listeners uh, may not realise quite how fierce that was at the time, but it, it gave me a nice warm glow again, watching that.
0: Yeah, it was interesting talking to... Gabriel Clark, one of the film's co-directors, about Sir Alex's contribution. And he was saying that uh, Sir Alex contributed to a film he made about Jack Charlton not too long ago. Um,
2: Which is excellent, apparently. Which is excellent, yeah.
0: And he was a bit uh, nervous to ask him for another favour, essentially, for him to come and do this film about arson. But... Uh, Sir Alex was very, very quick to say he would. And I think that speaks to the regard in which he holds us. And, and, you know, that much is clear in the film. Again, it's a relationship that was very fractious at the time, uh, but has had even longer to kind of heal those wounds. And I think, you know, in each other, they recognise some shared qualities, some shared traits, and a, a huge amount of shared experience. I mean, they were kind of... The last of the dinosaurs, you know, they were these giants of management who endured over decades, which seems unthinkable now. I mean, I saw with Aston Villa sacking Dean Smith, the Premier League's now lost more managers this season than it did in the entirety of last season. (laughs) And these guys sustained over such long periods and had success Probably greater success over the long term in Alex Ferguson's case, but quantifiable success throughout those periods too. And I think ultimately realized they were more similar <laughs> than different. They were different. They certainly were very different in how they handled the media and situations like that, but they both shared a kind of working class upbringing, albeit a very different one. You know, Sir Alex is in Scotland and Arson's in Alsace. And that's something, another part of the story that I think is well reflected in the film. And they they were hard men and they were winners. They both could not stand to lose. And clearly they've found some common ground now. And it is quite touching, actually. And and again, to come back to the manner in which Arsene left the club, you know, I think Sir Alex was on record at the time and has been several times about his uh, discomfort with that. And he was very lucky in some respects, you know. Not many managers get the fairy tale ending, and he got one, albeit by kind of taking matters <laughs> slightly into his own hands by um, buying
2: our best player and winning the title. Well, that didn't hurt. That yeah.
0: didn't hurt. Yeah. But uh, I, I think, yeah, you can see that it doesn't quite sit right with him the way things finished for Arsenal. Arsenal, but it's a it's a great coup to get him for the documentary, and if, there's a load of other Arsenal players in there. Of course, you know, Burkamp, Henri. It's interesting as well to note the way in which the players are prepared to discuss the period after the Invincibles and, you know, some of them fairly critically, not in an unreasonable fashion, but, you know, they they can see Arsene, much as they adore him, they can see the points where he was stronger and weaker and where some of his traits, you know, began to harm him potentially. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting insight as well to see it from the players' side.
1: I really loved it. Um, I think that it puts across a, a, a sort of uh, a much rounded, more rounded picture, and I found myself really moved a lot of the time watching it, mm. and just again, kind of reconnecting with those with those golden times. Also, a reminder of just quite how bloody good Arsenal were at their best in that era. I mean, extraordinary, an extraordinary team with extraordinary players all over the pitch. It was a complete joy. And I guess it do, It just does give that benchmark of that's where Arsenal got to try and get back to. And you sort of think, gosh, for all the, you know, bits and bobs of progress that uh, are happening slowly at the moment, it's, you know, to get to be that good again, wow. I mean, I, I really, dearly hope that we're all lucky enough to see something close to that at some point. But it's, it's great to look back on and reconnect with that.
2: Yes, Arsene Wenger Invincible is in cinemas from the 11th of November and on Prime as well. And it's well worth a watch. Let's have a song
1: to end. Amy, I'm going to come to you first. Just because the word unity was... I don't think that the um, producer is going to be able to play this one because it's quite explicit. But there is a song called Unity or U-N-I-T-Y by Queen Latifah, which is pretty good.
0: Uh, unity.
2: By the way, I'm led to believe from arts tweets that Arsenal played Drake's "Way Too Sexy" at the start of the Watford game. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't know that tune, but um, fair enough. Um, I'm not sure a one 0 win over Watford with a slightly disputed goal is way too sexy, but you know we'll take it. Uh, James, what have you got?
0: I, do you know what? We might have had this before, but I've just gone for supergrass. All right. Um, I, I I just it's lovely to go into an international break off the back of a good run of form and be it able is. to kind of sit back and enjoy it and
2: feel all right. Uh, yeah, quite. Uh, you're not going to be impressed with this, Amy, but I'm having, because I've been, I, I have been banging on about the youth because I just, at that connection, that unity, if you like, that we all feel. A little bit is coming back into the club. It's because of the young players. So uh, I'm having young guns. All right. Wham. (laughs) Because I also loved George Michael as well. Uh, There you go. That's it for the uh, Handbreak Off podcast. Thank you to Amy. Thank you to James. And thank you to Abby, uh, our producer. I was going to say, enjoy the international break. But, you know, let's just get through it and get back to football. Because we've got Liverpool away when we come back. Uh, Thanks for listening. See you soon.